0: The scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 24, as we continue in that series. Last Sunday, Scott preached from the previous chapter, uh, and that is the account of Paul's arrest in Jerusalem, uh, at which then a conspiracy came together to have him killed, and so Paul was spirited away secretly to the city of Caesarea, to be held in protective custody. And that's where we are this morning in Acts 24. Let us ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of His Word. Our sovereign, holy, good, and gracious Lord, we thank You for the power of Your Word and for the power of your Spirit. And we ask you now, in the name of the Lord Jesus, to send forth the Spirit of power, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of life, to attend the preaching of your Holy Word. Open our minds, open our hearts, grant us grace to believe in you the true and living God, and in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To the glory of your name, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God forever. Amen. Let us attend to the reading and hearing of the Holy Word of God, Acts chapter 24. It is written, And after five Days, that is, after Paul had been in Caesarea five days, the high priest Ananias came down from Jerusalem with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor, the Roman governor, their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse Paul saying saying to the governor, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg your kindness to hear us briefly, for we have found this man a plague one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews, that is the Jewish leaders there, also joined in the charge affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor, Felix, had nodded to Paul to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, that is Ephesus, that, well, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that Paul should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, Felix hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So Felix sent for Paul often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Thus ends the reading of this God's holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant word, and to his name be all glory. Amen. Today in Acts 24, we have the account of Paul's trial before Felix, the Roman governor of Judea. Luke tells us that the Jewish high priest Ananias came from Jerusalem to Caesarea with some elders and a spokesman, that is a prosecuting attorney really, named Tertullus. Now this Tertullus was quite eloquent. (laughs) He was a courtroom show off his opening statement to the governor felix is dripping with flattery bogus flattery intended to win the favor of governor felix since through you we Jews enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, the Jewish nation, in every way and in everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. Well, that was all a bunch of bunk. <laughs> the Jews hated Felix. He was a brutal and cruel and immoral and shameless ruler. In fact, Felix was so bad that the Jewish people made so many complaints against him to Caesar that ultimately Felix was removed from his governorship. But you see the point now. In order to prosecute their case against Paul, these Jewish leaders were willing to do whatever they had to do, ingratiating themselves to a corrupt politician by way of... Obsequious hypocrisy. Then Tertullus set forth the charges against Paul. We have found this man to be a plague, a pestilence. He stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world. (laughs) This is a charge of political insurrection, basically. They wanted Felix to think of Paul as a revolutionary threat to the peace of the Roman Empire. Tertullus then stated that Paul was a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, a slur against the Christian movement. The point here is that Paul was supposedly not adhering to true Judaism and therefore shouldn't receive the paternalistic care of Rome. Tertullus gave one false example of this, uh, which we read about, Earlier in Acts, that that Paul even tried to profane the temple. Now, that was the false accusation that they levied against him in Jerusalem because they had seen Trophimus the Ephesian, a Gentile, with Paul and wrongly said that Paul had taken this Gentile man with him into the temple. And Gentiles were not to enter into the inner precincts of the temple. Upon pain of death, it was a capital offense. And the Roman authorities respected and enforced that law on behalf of the Jews. So you see, these were high-stakes accusations against Paul, and they were all false, and his accusers knew it. How do you think Paul felt in that moment? Powerful men who had a lot of sway with the Roman governor, spewing out false accusations. How would you like to be in Paul's sandals? How would you feel about that? Well, okay, here we are. In the United States of America in the 21st century, are Christians in general more and more being falsely accused of being haters, bigots, science deniers? Privileged oppressors, anti-women, threats to democracy, anti-freedom, right-wing radical religionists who will bring an end to America as we have known it. And are these false accusations made by well-organized and well-financed and well-connected groups with political power and public influence, in cahoots with corrupt politicians, by truth twisting and misrepresentation and eloquent, hypocritical speech, Well, I make this connection and application not to discourage you. No, no, not to discourage you. Not to discourage you in the least. Absolutely not to whine about the current cultural climate. No whining. And certainly not, certainly not to give you an excuse either to get red in the face angry or to throw a pity party of defeatist despair. Uh Uh-uh, very unchristian. I just want you to see that Paul's story is our story. The Lord Jesus had Paul right where he wanted him, and he's got us right where he wants us and remember it was the lord jesus himself who said listen behold i am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves Now that saying of Jesus, that prophecy of Jesus, is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It was addressed to the apostles in the first century concerning what they would experience in the first century, especially as the decades after Jesus' death and resurrection passed, those decades through the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, as they passed, and the end of the old covenant era with the destruction of the temple in AD 70 drew nearer and nearer. Well, you see in Acts 24, we have the apostle Paul testifying before the Gentile governor in about 58 AD. So things were happening just as Jesus said they would But the general principle remains relevant and applicable for us today in the 21st century. We now live, I think, in in a way that we never have before. Our children are growing up. Parents, you know this, don't you? This this is a different America today in which you're raising your children. Uh, we're, We're in a different cultural, political context in which Jesus calls us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, and to be prepared to speak the truth about Jesus in the face of false accusations. And as 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, make a note, 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16 says always being prepared to make a defense that's the same word in acts 24:10 when paul makes his defense and here at 1 peter 3:15 same word defense always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, when you are slandered, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So now, let's see how the Apostle Paul did just that, making his defense with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that those who reviled his good behavior in Christ were, in fact, put to shame. After Tertullus concluded his false accusations and the governor Felix had nodded to Paul to speak, Paul said respectfully to the governor, but without a hint of servile flattery knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. Did you hear that? Paul says, I cheerfully make my defense. He's glad to be able to speak to the governor. He's cheerful, not fearful. He then begins calmly gently, respectfully, cheerfully to refute all the false charges levied against him. He begins by saying that, look, it wasn't more than 12 days ago since he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Anybody there would have a very clear and recent memory of his having caused trouble or stirred up a riot, but there was no evidence of that, and his accusers certainly could not prove their charges. And then, as for Paul being a troublemaker among the Jews or the leader of a sect, He said that according to the way, that is, according to his faith in Jesus, according to the faith of the Jewish people who were following Jesus, the way, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. You see, Paul's accusers had essentially accused him of being a heretic, someone who was troubling the Jewish people by corrupting their faith. And so Paul was happy to respond to that. No, I am a faithful Jew. I worship the God of our fathers. I believe everything written in the law and the prophets. I teach nothing contrary to the law and the prophets. Paul was not the follower or the creator of some new and strange and dangerous religion. He was not the corrupter of Judaism. He simply knew that Jesus was the fulfillment of all that was written in the law and the prophets. Jesus was the fulfillment of everything written in the Old Testament scriptures. So, are you a hater? Are you a bigot? Un American threat to democracy. I cheerfully make my defense. I am a loyal and law abiding citizen of America. But more important than that, I believe what Christians have believed throughout the world, for 2,000 years. And I cheerfully affirm and profess that true faith in Christ, which for 2,000 years has brought more life and liberty and happiness and hope, and truth, and justice, and peace, and civil stability, and tolerance in society, and health, and healing, and compassion, and mercy, and prosperity, and human dignity into this sad and broken world more than any philosophy or ideology or political power ever has in the history of the world. I cheerfully tell you that I believe in Jesus Christ who was crucified and raised from the dead to give life and life abundant to everyone who believes in Him. Can you cheerfully make your defense against the false accusations of those who hate Christ and His kingdom? Well, Paul then went on to say that he has the same hope that his accusers had, namely that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. And he added, so I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, I think that we can hear both a sincere testimony in these words and also at the same time a calm and gentle but very powerful rebuke of his accusers. Paul was reminding his accusers that they too professed to believe in the resurrection of the just and the unjust and that all will be judged by God. And therefore, just as he had a clear conscience toward both God and man, they should make sure that they did too. But how could men who were propagating false accusations Have a clear conscience. Brothers and sisters, it is imperative that we too have a clear conscience toward God and man as we profess faith in Jesus Christ today. As Paul later wrote to the Romans, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Think about acting in a respectable, honorable way in public. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And as First Peter 2.12 says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, that is, unbelievers, keep your conduct honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That is, on the day of judgment, God will be glorified and you will be vindicated even by the evildoers who falsely accused you. And Paul continued by simply stating the facts that he had come to Jerusalem to bring alms to my nation. Now note, Right here, that Paul still regarded the Christian believers in Jerusalem as Jews, part of the Jewish nation, not a a runaway rogue sect, and to present offerings. He stated further that he was purified. That is, after he had had contact with Gentiles, he went, he observed the Jewish purification rites before he went into the temple. In other words, he had done everything required by Jewish law. And further, that the Jews from Ephesus, who had made their false accusations against Paul in Jerusalem, should have appeared there in Caesarea that day to make their accusations before Felix. Because it was illegal to make accusations against a Roman citizen if you were not there in person. And therefore, their accusations should be dismissed. And and here's the deal. In other words, Paul was appealing to Roman civil law as part of his defense. Law, which he knew had been established by God for, for his defense. This is an important point for us. We remember how both Paul and Peter in their letters instructed Christians, us, to submit to the governing civil authorities because those authorities are established by God. Civil government is an institution ordained of God for peace and stability in society in general To punish evildoers and to reward the law abiding. The letters of Paul and Peter also instruct Christians, us, to live quiet and peaceable lives, not to be troublemakers, and to give honor to whom honor is due. We should never give the civil authorities any reason to have a case against us according to the civil law. We should be the best of all citizens. And in that case, the civil government, if it is acting rightly, will serve to protect us. And this was Paul's point right there in Caesarea. That is the God-ordained purpose of civil government. But that assumes that the civil government is acting in a rightful and just way. And as we've said before, there is a limit. If the government commands us to do something sinful we must obey God rather than men. If the civil government prohibits us from doing what God commands, we must obey God rather than men. But to whatever degree we may appeal to the civil government to protect our liberty and our civil rights, we ought to do so very strongly and without compromise, just as the Apostle Paul did In appealing to Roman law. So, for example, the First Amendment guarantee of the free exercise of religion without any infringement, which is now constantly under attack every day from multiple quarters. Do you know that? And do you know that people don't, there's a whole bunch of people who don't care about religious liberty. And there's going to be a great collision in this nation because of the ideological forces at work. And I don't think I have to name them. I hope I don't. I hope you know. Parents of young children, I hope you know what's going on because there's going to be a train wreck of collision between leftist worldview and religious liberty. And inasmuch as we may appeal to the civil government to protect our First Amendment rights, we ought to do so very strongly without compromise, just as the Apostle Paul appealed to Roman civil law in his own day. Now, let's go back to the text and to Paul's testimony before Felix. And this is interesting. It's very important. Now we're we're really getting ready to zero in on the bullseye so here we go Paul does confess that he is guilty so to speak so to speak of one thing that while he stood before his accusers in Jerusalem he had declared it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day now here's the issue this is the real issue it applies to us as well Paul's crime so to speak so to speak, was that he as a Pharisee not only believed in the resurrection of the dead, which was a Jewish doctrine, but also he went so far as to proclaim that it had already, in a preliminary, in a foreshadowing sense, it had already taken place with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. As he wrote to the Corinthians, Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. This was the issue. Here we go. By proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus, Paul was proclaiming that Jesus who had been crucified was the Messiah of Israel and the Lord of all the earth. By proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus, Paul was declaring that Jesus who had been crucified had now been exalted to the right hand of God the Father Almighty with the name that is above every name. By proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus, Paul was declaring that Jesus who had been crucified was the Son of God and the judge over all the earth. The one before whom every person would stand on the day of judgment. The one by whom God will judge the secrets of men. Romans 2.16 When Paul proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus, he was proclaiming, in the words which he would later write to the Romans, that Jesus, quote, was declared to be the Son of God in power by His resurrection from the dead. The one who rules over every power now and who will judge the world in righteousness on the last day. And you see, that's really the issue. That's the issue for us today. Because when you hear somebody say that they're on the right side of history, just remember, when history comes to its close, there's going to be one man, the divine man, who is the judge of all. And if you want to be on the right side of history, you better be on His right side. That's the issue. Who is Lord? Who has the right to judge anyone for anything? Who is the Lord over all the earth and every aspect of life on earth? Who is the Lord of my body? Who is the Lord of my sexuality? Who is the Lord of my money? Who is the Lord of my family? You see, the issue isn't really, and let's get this, let, let, just hang in here with me. The issue isn't really traditional morality. Versus contemporary immorality. That's not really the issue. You know, one opinion against the other. And it's certainly not about one political party versus another political party. It's really not about one political, social, cultural position versus the opposite one. It's not really about us against them or them against us. Not really. The question is, Who is Lord over all? Who is the judge of all? Who has the rightful authority over all? That's the question. Who is Jesus? That is really the question that put Paul on trial and it ought to be the question that puts us on trial in our everyday life. Now, maybe that's a question that you haven't really resolved in the depths of your inner being and your heart of hearts. Who is Jesus? Have you come to terms with Jesus Christ, crucified, risen from the dead, exalted to the right hand of God, the Father Almighty? Have you bowed the knee to Him in the entirety of your life? And have you happily gratefully cheerfully submitted yourself to his absolute lordship over every aspect of your life do you live for him because he is your life And do you long for His appearing when He comes on the last day? Because when He comes as judge of all the earth, He will come as your beloved Savior, who bore the judgment you deserve as He died upon the cross. That's the question. Are you ready, cheerfully, to profess your faith in Jesus, risen from the dead in the face of a hostile world full of false accusations? Well, Paul's cheerful defense was good enough for Felix to postpone any judgment and to dismiss Paul's accusers in shame. They got nothing out of it. Really? not what they wanted. And then this passage then concludes with an interesting note about Felix, the Roman governor, and his Jewish wife, Drusilla, who continued to meet with Paul to hear him speak about faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Luke doesn't tell us this, but it is a matter of historical record that the marriage of Felix, the Roman governor, and this Jewish young woman, Drusilla, involved a rather sordid soap opera backstory. <laughs> We're not going to go into that. But Luke does tell us that Paul, here's the point, Paul was not afraid to speak the truth to them about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. He wasn't afraid to speak to the, the truth to the governor who could let him, let him go or keep him in prison, about righteousness, that is, being right with God in accordance with God's standards, and self-control, living under the lordship of Jesus Christ in view of the coming judgment, things which proud and powerful and unrighteous and immoral people need to hear if they are going to be saved, that includes you and me. Paul spoke, listen, Paul spoke the truth about sin to them. He spoke the truth about their sins to them in order to speak to them personally about salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul wanted Felix, the Roman governor, and his Jewish wife, Drusilla, immoral, corrupt people, to be saved. He wanted them to be saved. And he was willing to speak with them as often as he could. Now you think about that in our context today. Felix couldn't stand it. He was alarmed when he was confronted with the issues of righteousness before God and the coming judgment. He sent Paul away. He didn't want to deal with the truth. The truth about Jesus. The truth about Jesus' resurrection. The truth about his own sin. He didn't want to hear it. But in order to pacify the the Jewish leaders, he kept Paul in prison. And then after that, he he would often send for Paul to have a conversation with him. He was actually hoping for a bribe for Paul's release, but neither Paul nor Paul's friends would play the game. Look, they could have bribed Felix. All they had to do was come up with some money and Paul was out free. Uh Uh-uh. He doesn't play that way. Paul remained in prison in Caesarea for two more years, unashamed of the gospel, without fear and always ready, cheerfully, always ready to speak to Felix and Drusilla or anyone else about salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ had Paul right where he wanted him, locked up in Caesarea. He's got us right where he wants us. Right now, are we ready? Are we willing to speak cheerfully about Jesus Christ crucified, risen from the dead, exalted at the right hand of God the Father Almighty? Salvation by faith in Him. May God empower us with His Spirit and give us the grace always to be ready and willing, cheerfully, to bear witness to Jesus in the midst of a world that hates and opposes Him. To God be the glory. Amen let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of the gospel, which is the power of salvation to all who believe. We pray that you would increase our faith, help our unbelief, And create faith in us. A faith which truly comes to Jesus Christ. A grateful, obedient, cheerful faith which receives Him and follows Him as Lord of all. To the glory of Your name. Amen. In response to the glorious gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith as we say together the Philippian Creed based on the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians which he wrote while imprisoned in Rome. (laughs) Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and following. Christians, in whom do you believe? We believe in Christ Jesus who though He was in the form of God, did not the quality uh-